Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond Rent. I'm Joe Easton from Rent Manager, and I'll be your host. This podcast is focused on having conversations with experts so we can all learn more about the property management industry. And this is a special episode as we've gathered together some great insights from past episodes and packaged them together to help you cultivate growth in 2023. I'm excited to hear these great guests once again. So let's get to the conversation and go Beyond Rent. First up, we have Taylor from Colorado Realty and Property Management. On episode 43, she shares her experience creating automated processes. So let's listen in. What's kind of your philosophy on determining when, where, how to put a process in place? Yeah, so with processes, originally we implemented them for um items that we do on a daily basis that are extremely repetitive, um, just to kind of get into the flow. For example, you know, the steps of marketing a property. Number one is to confirm we have access. Number two is to schedule marketing photos. Um, So I originally started out with doing, you know, repetitive processes that our teams do all day long. And then the more that we developed processes, um, it would be like, I'm surprised we don't have a process for that. Um, And so implementing those, Um, And then we also have processes just called like issues where you just pop something in there that's going on and you have a dated next step um, or a reminder or reach out to the team that something's going on with this so that that way, you know, you're putting it somewhere that's not necessarily on paper or in your brain and, and nothing's getting missed in that regard. So you started with things that were very repetitive, but it sounds like that's evolved over time. How complex has it gotten? Because it sounds like it's gotten pretty complex. If if you said we started there and you got those taken care of, are you putting processes in place for everything? Yes. Almost everything we do is processed. We have, um, gosh, almost 30 processes. And they range from, you know, marketing a property to setting up a collections account to the um, eviction process landlord onboarding, kind of and everything in between. And yeah, to this day, we're still finding additional opportunities to add processes. Um, and then we do update them. I think I update processes three times a week. Um, different <laughs> things will come up with opportunities or, you know, a team member will suggest, I think we should be doing it this way and we'll just update it and implement it so that we can start doing it right away. And are those updates, are they... Like you missed something, (laughs) like something did fall through the cracks or is it more of that improvement idea? Like you said, oh no, we could probably speed things up, take out a step if we, if we kind of did it this way. A little bit of both. Yeah. So oftentimes, um, so for us, our team is growing and as we've been going through and training new members, um, we'll find that in a certain process, they might get hung up on, you know, the transition to the next step. And then we'll realize, oh, you know, this key component is missing. We need to add that in. But then also, um, yes, updating the process when we find that there's a better way to do it. And sometimes we get that feedback, you know, from our property owners or our tenants where like the communication got a little bit off. Um, And with our processes, we have, 
you know, to do's for our actual team. And then we have automation, you know, where we reach out um, to owners and tenants. And so we want to make sure that if a tenant reaches out and they're like, is this automated? This doesn't make sense that we're like, oh gosh, there's a problem. We need to go in and update that right away. No, that that is a, that is really funny, actually. And, and I think we've all been victim of that, right? Because there is so much automation, especially on the marketing side or communication. Uh, businesses are obviously leveraging tools. But I think we've all gotten something that was out of context or you could tell just was out of the, the workflow. It's like, nope, I probably should have gotten that later. That was probably too early to send that or it doesn't apply to me. So, you know, but I think that's a, a good topic to bring up is that automation piece. So when you are talking about processes, you are not necessarily talking about automation. And and sometimes those get lumped together like they're one and the same. So I guess walk me through the process of how your team addresses like process versus automation. Because you said you're starting with things that you're, you're like you're doing every day. When you create processes, you weren't automating those necessarily. You were just making sure that people were doing the right thing in the right time frame, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when we were first developing our processes, we started it all out with SOPs. So standard operating procedures. So we basically whiteboarded it all out on paper so that that way we knew the steps and where those processes started was the steps for the team. You know, you do this, then you go here, you do this. And as we were going through it, we realized that there was additional touch points that we could include that would provide a more personalized experience and increase communication. You know, being in the property management industry, it's really a lot of customer service. We're technically, you know, maybe in the customer service industry. Um, So we really built it out, yeah, to be tasks for our team to complete so that nothing would be mixed and then added in that communication, especially with Lyle and Paula having started the company almost 17 years ago. The way that they did it, you know, has gradually changed and then you get employees in place and then they start doing it their way. So this way we kept it the Colorado Realty and Property Management way. Next up, let's revisit episode 36 with Stephen of Upkeep Media. Stephen teaches us about SEO and how it impacts your online traffic. When you are looking at, you know, a website, what are the most important elements that you really have to focus in on to start driving that traffic through SEO. I know we talk, kind of talked about those pillars, but are there they're like key things that fall under each one of those pillars that are important? Yeah, so from, from the technical makeup of your website, let's say if we, we start with the first pillar, the, the most important thing is to have a well-coded site. So a lot of the free builders online, although your site can look really nice, Google doesn't love them because it makes it hard for their bots to crawl through your website. Um, so, so, you know, the first element to focus on is have a good quality website. Cause even if you have the best content in the world, if your website is not well coded, Google won't reward you. So that, that would be the first thing to focus on. The second is once you have a, a good quality website built, then you want to start creating content that's geared towards your target audience and you want to do it on a consistent basis. So. Set a schedule, whatever is realistic for your company. Maybe it's you can put up one really good piece of content per month. That's fine. Just make sure you do it consistently over a long period of time and you'll start to see benefits from that. Then the third, uh, let's say the third pillar of offsite optimization, 
Um, that's where you want to get links from other websites that are related to, you, to your website. So let's say another, if you're a property management company, maybe you can get a link from a mortgage broker website. And how you would do that, I'd say at first, is reach out to vendors that you work with. So vendors are usually going to be very receptive because they, they want to continue working with you, of course. So if you ask them, would you be open to having us create content for your company's website for free? And in exchange, all we ask back is that you reference our business with a link in that content back to our business's website. That will help you also um, increase in search engine rankings. So if you continue to do basically create good quality content and build links to your website, that will help you really increase in Google quite a bit. So you had talked about the structure of a website and kind of said that there's some free website builders out there that make it difficult for Google to examine your website, right? So are you talking about like a Wix type website? And I guess if you are, what are some recommendations you can make as far as like good places to go to have a website built? Do you need to hire somebody or can you build one yourself? Generally, you'll want someone that can code. Um, so most of, of the, say, do-it-yourself options out there are not great. If you're comfortable, uh, you can use a, a CMS called WordPress. Uh, WordPress is fairly user-friendly. They also have themes that are, are pretty drag-and-drop, uh, meaning that instead of having to code, you can literally kind of click buttons and, and, and drag what you want into this, a specific position on the website. Um, it does take a lot of time to, to build one yourself, though, I will say that. Uh, but if you do want to go the do-it-yourself route, I would recommend WordPress. The drag-and-drop builders are not you know, the, the best option you could ever have, but it's still much better than, than any of the, the free builders out there. I won't name names of free builders because I don't want to, uh, of course, get, get into a legal issue. But um, yeah, generally, I would stick with WordPress site if you're going to go a do-it-yourself option. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And um, I know there's a lot of them out there and I'm sure anyone searching can find a lot of opportunities to to build websites. I'm really familiar with WordPress myself. Um, I've had have some experience there. And you're absolutely right. It, it takes more time to build the website via something like WordPress. But I think the number of options that you have in the future are almost limitless when you build through a platform like that as well. So obviously we're not promoting WordPress here at all. It's just one of those things that does come up quite often because people will ask like, well, who should I use to build my website or does it matter who builds my website? And I'm glad we've kind of hit on that because I think that's something as a small business, you often think about the look of the website more so than the bones of the website, the foundation. And it sounds like you are advocating that people need to really focus in on the foundation, how it was built just as much as what it looks like. That's exactly it. It's, it's tough to know because you can't see under the hood unless you can read the code. Right. But it, it is something that has a huge effect on your website's performance. Um, even if SEO is not something you're focusing on in the near, near term, if you get a website that's properly built and just let it sit live on the internet over a longer period of time, it's still going to benefit you in the future because you're not starting from scratch where compared to like when you're using a builder, uh, one of those free builders that essentially Google can't even crawl properly. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. So when you're building your website and again, the foundation and how it's structured really matters. What are some of the most important parts of a website that need to exist? So different pages, 
like you had talked about putting content on there. So I'm assuming you're referring to like articles or some type of blog type feature to the website. What are some of those pieces that everyone needs to think about as they kind of put the pieces together of their website? Yep. Um, so the truth is the most important pages to have on your website from an SEO standpoint are also the most important pages you would want to have from a logical perspective. So what you want to do is think of who your target audience is and what their most common questions and concerns are and what, what type of information they usually want to know and then create pages around those topics. Um, so you, you would want to have service pages on your website that go into detail about your property management services, um, you know, how you, you actually carry out the, the monthly management of, the, of their property if it's a third-party owner. Uh, you would want to have frequently asked question pages on your website as well uh, for both tenants as well as uh, owners if it is a third-party management company. And then in the form of a blog, you had touched on that. That's also something really important because that's where you're going to want to create pages that are geared around specific topics. So as an example, let's say that you want to attract more owners um, to, to your property management company and you want to basically educate them on the landlord tenant laws in, in whatever state you're located in, then what you would want to do is create blog content around the different landlord tenant laws. So you could have, you know, topics about the security deposit laws in your market. You could have topics about the eviction process in your market, about, you know, just the general landlord over uh, landlord tenant overview uh, of your market, landlord tenant law overview, I should say, in your market as well. Um, another thing I will touch on that we see a lot of companies make the mistake of is think of who your target market is. So what we see a lot of times, especially with companies that are looking to attract more rental property owners, is their whole website will be geared towards tenants. So on the homepage, even though they, they're a third party management company and they're looking to attract owners, their homepage will be about you know, renting, a new, renting a new home, for example. Um, but what you want to do in that case, if your target market is really to attract owners, is make your homepage geared towards owners, not tenants. Um, so, so that's also another thing. I know it's not a specific page, but it is very important from an SEO perspective, as well as just from a, a marketing standpoint, you want to make sure your website speaks to your target audience. Moving on to a topic everyone loves, taxes. Roland of PMI. JCM Realty Group shares his thoughts on different ways to minimize taxes and maximize business opportunity. And in your experience and your opinion, are people doing that at all? Are they planning for their taxes or is it just like reactionary or they're just paying what they're told to pay? There is there any planning that, that's really happening or, or is the vast majority of professionals, like I said, just kind of going in with without any intention or any uh, strategy around taxes? The vast majority are going in without any attention on taxes. I don't think most um, real estate professionals, whether they're professional real estate agents or their investors, take a tax strategy perspective in trying to get a better return on their investments, right? Very few of them do, right? And some of them may deduct materials because you know, as a small business, which you are when you um, own a um, an investment property, they may deduct materials and things like that, but they don't go, they don't deep dive into it and get the type of um, tax benefits that they can actually get to really um, get a good return on their investment. 
And why is that? Why don't they have a strategy? Is it just lack of knowledge and awareness? Is it the fact that they're intimidated by taxes? Like what would cause somebody not? Because like you said, it, it's a large number when you look at their overall operations. You think that would stand out and they would say, hey, I probably need to think about this number differently. Uh, what causes people to ignore it? I would say lack of knowledge. That's number one. Um, I think the second thing is people tend to set it and forget it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they they just go through a routine. OK, I have to do my taxes. So let me pay my taxes. And and, you know, taxes is on an honor, honor system when they um, when they audit you. That's when they're verifying the information. But for the most part, you know, the, the U.S. government takes the approach of, you know, um, they trust that you're going to give them the right information. And if they need to verify, they audit you to verify that your information is correct and they don't verify everyone right but they verify people who are egregious in you know in with their numbers um and so as i think most people they just go through the motions of okay let me file my taxes so i can get this done and i can get the government off my back um but they don't go into it thinking okay how much money can i put in my pocket this year or from last year based on my tax strategy and if you go into it with that mindset thinking that you can make more money by having a good tax strategy, more people would take the time to sit down with a professional to see where they can save and cut costs when it comes to taxes. And what could what could somebody experience like if they had a good tax strategy? Is there a percent or some type of information you could share with us to understand what kind of impact it can really have by having that strategy, by enlisting the help of a tax professional? Yeah, so so I think for everyone, the situation is going to be different. And the reason why I say that, and when it comes to things like taxes, it's very, very similar to things like the law, right? Even though the rules may be the same for everyone, it can be applied very differently depending on what the situation is. So I can't sit here and say, if you you know, have a great tax strategy, you're going to be able to say 50%. It's, it's like not a Geico commercial, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like I, so, so the, the numbers are going to vary for everyone. But what I will guarantee you is you will find efficiencies and cost savings and you will be able to put more money in your pocket. Definitely. If you have a good tax strategy. I mean, if you look at something like the property taxes, some after the 2008 crash, a lot of the value of the homes that the cities and the states has had were, were bloated. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people didn't pay any attention to that and just continued paying. Right. Some people connected with the right with the right um, organizations, and they were able to get their their um, property taxes um, reduced. Um, then you have um, your capital gains tax. Every time you sell a property, right? If you don't have some place to park that money, like a ten thirty one exchange, or if you're not putting it in some type of IRA, you're going to get taxed on that money. But there's ways you can realize that those funds. In, in real time without having to, you know, get it frozen in an IRA of some sort, um, right? Or getting getting hit with that large capital gains tax, right? And so that all takes planning though. Like mm-hmm. you have to you have to go sit down and talk to a, a professional that knows about um, taxes, um, have them understand your situation and what your goals are. And they'll be able to give you great insights on how much you can save and how much money you can make by leveraging those strategies. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. And one of the things that always comes to mind 
to me is every business is truly unique, or at least it should be unique, right? So mm-hmm. if your business is unique and it probably needs to be to be successful, then you need someone to help you understand how your uniqueness applies to different other areas of business. And one of them might be taxes, right? What we're talking about today. So it truly is like not everyone's situation is the same. Um, and we're talking, we're talking about business taxes here and property taxes and real estate taxes. That's really a case for all taxes. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Like that's why the government can't really audit every person in the, in the country, right? Because simply because it's all very unique. Everyone has different uh, things that are happening in their personal lives or in their business that, that impact what they need to pay or how they need to pay it. Uh, and it sounds like though, most people need to know going into the year, going into a certain time frame, what things they at least hope to do or plan to do in their business. So you can work those strategies around those things, right? So if you know you're going to be growing or if you're going to be selling properties or whatever you're going to be doing, you have to kind of know at least a little far out into the future. So you can start working those strategies ahead of time before you get to actually making those transactions. In episode 44, I spoke with Jordan of Victory Property Management. The topic was marketing in a crowded market as she shared what it takes to compete against other property management companies of all sizes. When we talk about kind of that strategy, like again, that you can really work with anyone and um, you have the the know-how and the, the background and the uh, proof of performance to prove that you can really help them out. Um, are there specific strategies that you're using actually like target certain types of owners or maybe even certain strategies to stay competitive against, you know, whether it be a larger property management company, a national brand, maybe or, or a larger regional or even smaller ones. Or are you kind of thinking about like how you stay competitive against other companies or is it kind of a, a different strategy of not necessarily focusing on the competition, but rather focusing on what you do best? We definitely focus on what we do best. Um, the competition, like you said, is always nice to have. It keeps you on your toes and it, you're always learning something new. Um, so <clears throat> it's always nice to have that competition. But as I said before, you know, the most important thing for Victory is our staff. To make sure our staff is absolutely knowledgeable in the local market, the areas that they are currently managing, um, keeping that continuing education going on, that's going to be what sets us apart from a lot of the other companies. We see with these larger national companies, like I said, they do sprout very quickly. They tend to have a a quantity over quality business model. um, And unfortunately, that means call centers that, you know, they don't know. They could be in a completely different state than you. And having that personal connection, not just with your account manager or your property manager, but with also the market that you're in, it is so incredibly important these days. You know, back to COVID when everyone was separated, how nice is it to actually call somebody and they answer the phone for you and give you the correct answers you are looking for? That's where it's at. Right now in this business, if you can't provide excellent customer service, we really don't know what you, what you're doing. Um, and then, of course, you know, just being a, it really involved with all the latest trends, 3D virtual tours, things like that. It's, it's going to give you a little bit of advantage over these companies as well. So we definitely push technology, customer service and knowledge 
those are our forefronts that we make sure stand that we're standing apart against. Yeah. And there's a few things I definitely want to dive further into there because there's a lot there, especially on on the service side, the customer service side, everyone's aware of labor shortages, things like that. So the idea of answering a phone is actually kind of a challenging thing for a lot of companies right now as they are facing uh, challenges like that. What is Victory doing to address that? Because I do think it is a way to stay competitive, right, is to offer higher levels of service. How is Victory staying ahead of that and continue to having the right people in the right place answering the, the right questions? Yeah, it, it can definitely pose a challenge, especially during the busy summer, spring seasons, like we've all experienced. Um, but it, again, it all comes down to the, the training and the education. If you know and are knowledgeable on, on what a situation is and that personal connection, I know this home front, back, left, and right, as well as this owner, problems get solved much faster. Opening up that time for you to make lead calls and say, you know, answer questions. Did you like this property? What didn't you like about this property? Um, We're a very efficient company. um, So efficiency is going to be key to making sure that all of those questions, all of those phone calls are answered. Um, And that's what I would say is what we, you know, instill into our staff, just efficiency, knowledge, and have a, a nice day and a smile with you and you'll go a long way. It does go a long way. That's absolutely true. And, and so I want to dive in kind of the other half of what you started to talk about um, just a moment ago is the technology side. I think you had mentioned 3D tours. Um, what does technology look like for a regional growing property management company? Because, you know, that's really kind of what I focus in on my day-to-day is the technology side of our industry. And I know years ago, technology was really a challenge for small to medium-sized operators because of the the cost, right? There's a big barrier to entry into using technology in a big way, especially if it was something, again, 3D tours or automation. Like those things weren't easy or cheap to implement. What is Victory doing as that regional player? What types of technology have you started to add? Um, I guess what is most common? What is bringing the most value uh, right now in the market? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, Joe. When I started in the company or in the business in 2015, the first company I worked at was still working off of an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) So uh, it it is very expensive to to join some of these different software firms and and get going like that. But we, we do utilize several different softwares. Um, that help our day-to-day process. But ultimately, investing in these 3D virtual tour cameras um, has really been a huge success for us. We provide them for nearly every home um, for our homeowners at no additional cost. So it is completely free for our homeowners to utilize this tool. And with this, we're seeing homes move off the market so much faster out-of-state movers are citing that this is the reason they chose our company out of an other company for the ability to see this home, you know, virtually with impeccable detail. So I would say by far for any company, large, small, or medium, definitely start looking into 3D virtual tours for your homes. It will pay dividends. You'll get homes on and off the market much faster, making things smoother, and you can ultimately take on more properties and keep growing. When it comes to, like you mentioned Excel, if anyone truly is using Excel out there, um, 
we probably need to talk because there's definitely better solutions out there. And I love Excel. Excel's great, right? But not for running a whole entire business. And I think everyone would agree with that. You know, it is interesting. And what I what I love about technology and kind of where we're at right now is I truly believe that we've hit this intersection where uh, most technology is at least affordable enough for any type of operator to leverage certain aspects of it. And it really levels the playing field. Again, you go back just a few years and 3D tours were truly something only a very large national operator was going to be able to offer. So from the outside looking in, a potential renter is going to see a big difference between the listing, right? And this was years ago, right? This one had great pictures. It has a 3D tour. These other homes, maybe it doesn't have any of these things. It just maybe has a few pictures, but it doesn't give all that fine detail. Now it doesn't really matter the size of the company. You really can execute some of these things and make yourself stand out against any of your competition. Uh, it's really, you know, the internet in general has always been leveling the playing field because any size company can seem any size when you're just on the internet. And I think that's really powerful. And, and I think it is a game changer for any size property management company. Uh, but it's interesting that 3D Tour specifically has been that thing for your company to really stand out. And the last stop for this special episode is episode 42 with Brian of BizDev Mastermind. Brian talks about helping other companies develop systems that drive growth. But I, but I really like that point you talked about, like creating that sales process regardless of your size. And that's one thing I think you saw um, in your past experience. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that as far as like creating processes when you're still relatively small that are sustainable through growth and when you're larger. And, and I'd love to know your experience there and how many of those processes stay true versus like needing to change them constantly as you scaled and got larger. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when I, I started in the, the game a couple of years out of college and uh, had a marketing degree and, and, you know, got the, 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 maybe the, the knowledge, but not, not the hands-on experience. And, so, you know, going, my, my approach was to build everything, you know, for scale. That was kind of the, the approach I had taken, um, getting hired on. And, and that was, you know, uh, Brad's approach as well. Hey, that we, we're not building for next year. You know, we're building for years to come. Uh, the goal right when I was hired, I want 300 units this year. You know, so and, and to me, that just seemed like I, I didn't know whether that was a lot, a little or in between. I had no idea. Um, but, you know, so, so we had big goals right from the beginning. So for us and, and in my personal experience, um, we were really building for scale and building for growth. So we invested in a CRM platform. We built it out. That was one of my first projects being hired in 2015 and, and really building that out. And, you know, we took a lot of time and effort in doing that. It was, it didn't take, you know, half a day. It was, it was a multi-week project working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so we built that out and, and that there were certainly changes. There were certainly additions. There were certainly things that were tweaked over time, but what we didn't have to do is say, okay, crash this system, we're going to start scratch and, and just redo everything. And if we did have to do that, that it would, it was a big project back then when we were at 500 units, it would have been a huge project when we were at a thousand units uh, and had, you know, thousands of leads in that system and, and in different pieces of the process. So by, you know, by focusing on, on, on uh, making, ensuring that we, we are setting up and, and, and ready for scale, uh, we saved ourselves a lot of time and, and headache there, you know, later on. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, when it comes to technology and software, 
I do think there's this perception that, well, if you're small or when you're starting out, maybe, maybe investing in those pieces just doesn't make sense quite yet. There's other places to put your money. And I think we always find these companies that are, are larger now. And we have a lot of experience in this area. We've watched people grow and they needed something to support that growth. And a lot of it is technology, right? You need that software. You need something reliable. You don't want to change software programs every year because you outgrow something. That's really, really painful. So I think that's a smart mentality. So do you coach people through that and consult people kind of that stage of, of where they're at, like going in and saying, Hey, one of the first things you need to do is, you know, how are you, how are you going to manage this long term? What, what, what tools or what, um, systems do you have in place right now? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some clients we work with, they already have a business development manager on staff or they, you know, they, they're doing business development themselves. So whether you're looking to hire or already have a staff in place, the, one of the first things we do is, is we look at your market uh, and we make suggestions of, of areas of opportunity. Uh, and next thing we get into is the sales process. Uh, so we want to look at, uh, you know, often what happens is we show them the competition report we say this person didn't answer. This person never got back to us. This company took three days to get back to us. This person just communicated via email. And we really sell them on the importance of, of this sales process. Because also if your staff doesn't, if you don't have the buy-in and, and it's not for everyone, it's not an automatic thing that, you know, they, they don't recognize the importance right away. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to follow through. But so, yeah, to answer your question, yes, we certainly, we help get that set up. We get buy-in from the company, from the BDM. Uh, show them that, you know, this really is a big, big deal and it is really important. Uh, and then we always will we'll see the light bulb turn on and, and we'll, we'll get things rolling from there. Yeah. And, and I think people want to buy into a process. They want to buy into a system. Uh, but like you said, it's not automatic. They kind of have to be sold on it. They have to understand the benefit to them. And again, if they're still in that early stage, they may not see it, especially when you're talking about investing money or time into building out you know, software technology, things like that. So how do you, like, how do you get these companies to see the value in building out those systems? Like, how do you advise them? Like, what are, are there certain things that you try to show them or, um, you know, outside of maybe even a competition report, you, you have like other case studies or, or how do you really kind of point them in the right direction to say, you know, we truly know this is the, <laughs> the right way to go. You really have to trust us. Um, how does that, what does that look like? Sure. So, I mean, there are studies that are out there. One that I, I always point to is a Velocify study. They're a nationwide CRM, and they found that you're 386% more likely to earn the business if you call back within the first minute of someone submitting an online inquiry. Uh, you're about 150% more likely if you call back within the five minutes. Uh, you're about 64% more likely if you call back within the first hour, and then it drops pretty much to zero after that. So that's one thing that we always point out. Uh, and the other is, is uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, the referring back to those competition reports, showing, you know, what your competitors are doing uh, compared compared to, uh, you know, what you're, what you can be doing. Yep. Yeah. And I do think that's important kind of deciding where you're going to put yourself in the market, right? Uh, that's what a lot of that value has. Like every business has to be somewhat unique in their market to be successful, right? So you have to say, okay, this is where we think we fit into this market or we feel like this is where there's a gap in the market. Yes. And, and you, a uh, case study came to me just now. So case study uh, in uh, Southern Utah at uh, um, Red Rock Property Management. Uh, I did a podcast with another gentleman, Dale there and uh you know he he had 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 a crm he was using it but he just really wasn't using it to its ability he was using it more or less like an excel sheet you know as a place to keep notes but wasn't using any of the other features that are there 
Um, we came in, we, we trained them on how to use the CRM. We, we showed them, you know, all the tools that are there. It definitely took some convincing. It definitely took some, you know, some pushing in the right direction. Um, and there was, it wasn't easy to begin with, but we did get over that hump. We got the CRM implemented uh, and they had their best year yet. He signed up over, I think it was 300, over 300, 320 or so, some units between vacation rental and single family, uh, all in a small market, St. George, Utah. It's not like it's a, a huge, you know, Houston or, or New York. It's a small town. So just another point there, even if you're in a small market, don't think it's, it's too small to grow. Thanks for listening in. If you liked what you heard, then make sure you revisit the full episodes for more information on these topics. You can find the episode details in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to Beyond Rent using your favorite podcast player. And while you're there, make sure to rate, review, and share it with other people in this industry. And if you aren't familiar with Rent Manager quite yet, then visit rentmanager.com to learn more about our property management software or reach out to me, Joe Easton, directly on LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, keep going beyond rent.